Hi, and welcome to the Idea Spring Capital podcast. Today we have Deepak Agarwal, Associate Vice President of Idea Spring Capital, in conversation with Ramesh Srinivas, co-founder and CEO of Worksago. With over 25 years of industry and consulting experience, Ramesh has led large transformation programs. He has been a partner at PwC, IBM, and KPMG. At Worksago, they are building products that align employee behaviors with organizational objectives and drive higher business outcomes using AI. In this conversation, they discuss the role of AI in employee performance, how these AI systems work, their impact, the role of data in such systems, the response of the enterprise market, the future growth of this industry, and a whole lot more. Hi, Ramesh. Thanks for coming in uh, today and giving us the time. I directly delve into the uh, topic, which is an interesting one, talking about the employee productivity and performance using AI and uh, cognitive science. So just to kind of start with, in an enterprise world uh, that is rapidly moving towards using AI for automation on various fronts, how do you see AI playing a role in affecting employee performance? Thanks, Deepak. Actually, AI today is being used in a wide variety of contexts from an enterprise standpoint. On the one hand, it's used to replace people as well, right? Where, where tasks that are reasonably repetitive in nature, people are using AI to see whether they can replace people. I think the more interesting set of applications for AI that are coming up today is how can it augment the performance of employees and companies? And there, I, I believe it's got tremendous potential to work through. Now, why, why do I say augment employees' performance? If you, if you look at typical employees and companies across functions, so let's take sales as an example, a typical salesperson is bombarded with loads of information, right? So they, they've got information around customers, they've got information around different products, around promotions, competition. So there's a huge amount of information they're bombarded with. The difficult thing for any individual is to be able to say, what do I do with all of this information, right? How do I figure out what are the right insight that I take out of it? How do I figure out how to most productively use the information that I have on a day-to-day basis? It's not about saying at the month I do a planning, but every day job that a salesperson does, he needs to figure out what is the most productive way to utilize all of this information. Second, sales is a tough job, tougher than most of the jobs. Most salespeople are out in the field. And because they're out in the field, they're not necessarily connected into their teams on a regular basis, like people sitting in a corporate office, for instance, which means you're pretty much out on your own for a large part of the day. And therefore, a lot of decisions on a on an hour-to-hour basis, you need to take yourself. You're faced with difficult situations with a customer. You have to sort it out pretty much on the spot. You have a backup uh, support system that's there, but that's something you can only fall back on. Otherwise, you pretty much have to think on your feet. So the overall job is so difficult. I think AI can play a huge role in being able to simplify it, in being able to provide insights to salespeople in order to do what they're doing more effectively. Far more important, because salespeople are out pretty much on their own through the day, they'd be much more productive if there's somebody who's capable of guiding or coaching or mentoring them on a day-to-day basis, right? Because every day is different in a salesperson's job, typically. That is where I think AI can play the biggest role. In some sense, being a personal coach or a personal digital coach, which does the job of being able to sift through masses of information, figure out exactly what it is that's relevant, important. And more importantly, salespeople go through ups and downs every day because you're faced with a lot of rejection. Not every customer you go to buy something from you. So you're faced with a great deal of rejection. You're faced with a lot of issues that you have to tackle at the front end. And in many ways, you're the single face of the company to practically every customer. You're the single face that they look at. 
True. So as far as the customer is concerned, the what you the way you deal with them is is a reflection of the entire company, which is, which is a bit of a load for a salesperson to carry, right? So if there's an AI product that's capable of working like a coach, and think of a sports coach, right? What a sports coach does is being able to look at day to day how that their mentees is working, what are the areas of weakness, what they need to work on, guide them on how to do, encourage them at any point of time, motivate them, you know, push them hard. They they do all of this in different ways in order to maximize performance of the of the sports person and it's not different here based on the individual specifically exactly and it's based on every individual right you're different i'm different each of us is very different in the way we react and what motivates you what motivates me or what motivates somebody else is very different so for somebody to be able to figure out saying you know what is it what are the key drivers or motivational triggers for every individual at the same time being able to provide them what they can do on a day to day basis effectively means you put a manager for every individual salesman that's not practical or pragmatic from a from a cost standpoint so i think ai can play a massive role in here i mean thanks to tech today it's possible to derive a great deal of insights about individuals behavior through how they actually react to different situations learn from it and therefore be able to in some sense behave like a personal digital coach so i think there's enormous potential in that sense for every individual employee to say listen i i have some individuals i have some coach or a mentor in here that's able to guide me on a regular basis in concrete terms in terms of saying what is to be done at the same time encourages me when i do well pushes me when i'm slacking off a little bit and does what what a good coach essentially does interesting so now can you uh, take us behind the idea of using uh, neuroeconomics and behavior science to nudge employees into performing better and more efficiently sure deepak i'll i'll take an analogy first right and sure. i'll take an analogy that's easier for us to relate with at a personal level so let's take our personal wellness or health all of us would like to lead a healthy life and pretty much we know what we need to do to stay healthy right whether it's diet nutrition exercise sleep uh, anything else we have a base level of knowledge is decent enough we don't need to get into technicalities of that it's it's just a new year now and most people come up with a resolution saying this year i'm going to exercise a little bit more walk a little bit more sleep better and so on right? typically what happens is towards the end of january it tails off right and you go back to the lifestyle that you yourself believe you shouldn't really be following and this is very very common across a lot of people so it's not enough for you to feel that something is good for you to do even as an individual following it is a lot more difficult than actually knowing it now behavior science comes in here because fundamentally all the way commerce or the way enterprises work is the assumption is everybody is very rational human being which is like the old classical economics thing right i give you an incentive higher the incentive the better you're going to work and it's classical economics it says all of us will react exactly the same way to all incentives so in some way what it does is it standardizes everybody all people as resources so everyone is replaceable one resource goes another comes in the assumption is the same incentive the same policy same hr systems work it should work for everybody the reality is very different the reality and interestingly the whole area of behavioral economics showed that people are actually irrational and most of us all of us actually behave very irrationally in, in many different contexts mm. So if you think about it it's also true in 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 health like i said you know you want to stay and follow an extremely healthy lifestyle most of us don't do it to to the extent that we'd want to which is an irrational thing to do but that's how all of us are behavior science therefore has a number of different insights into how is it that you can begin 
to nudge people and this is a concept that Richard Thaler about 15 years ago came up with. It's, it's an old concept, but he refined it substantially. The nudge is nothing but a gentle push to get you to do something at the right time. And that nudge has to trigger off a certain motivation in you and make it easy for you to do. So that was his concept. In fact, he wrote a book called The Nudge, which is pretty much a bestseller. He won the Nobel Prize for economics last year in November 2017. So we took that concept of a nudge and said that it's no different for a salesperson. And if you look at a salesperson, the parallels to personal health are quite stark. They also know what to do. I mean, by and large, they have a good idea what to do. They also want to do well. It's not as if they don't want to do a good job. Nobody comes into office in the morning and says, I want to do a lousy job today. So they want to do a good job. Now, the difference is how do you maintain your discipline on a day-to-day level, which is what sales is. Every day, you need to maintain a discipline and put in a huge amount of work for you to get the outcome at the end of your month or your quarter or your annual targets for you to hit. So it's about, therefore, being able to effectively prioritize what you need to do, being able to motivate yourself to do it, being able to say, okay, you know, I'll have bad days, but I'll get out of it and still kind of keep my effort at a certain level which is the role that I think behavior science can play in. Now, neuroeconomics is nothing but science of decision-making in some sense. And that's where the key difference with classical economics is. It, it does take into account the fact that human beings are different. Each of us works a little differently. What uh, triggers my motivation is different from what triggers somebody else's, what triggers your motivation. So it recognizes the difference between these. And that, that's essentially what we did. So we took principles of neuroeconomics, which is the science of decision-making, because in, a, in, in, in any job, it's essentially down to various decisions that you're taking. What do you work on? Where do you put your effort? Where do you put spend your time? What, what are the things that you actually do and say? So it's about how do you blend these in together, but in a way that recognizes that each of us is different and figuring out what motivates every individual to do that, which is different from the way somebody else does it. And I think that's really the key behind using this. Got it. So uh, can you give us an example of how this impacted employees' behavior in the real world? Uh, we must have seen a couple of examples for that. Sure. So I'll go back to sales because it's rich with anecdotes and examples. True. Now, fundamentally, the, the way people look at how to get salespeople to perform better is saying, I'll up your incentive. And it's all built around saying all salespeople want incentives. So you give better incentive, you get better performance. It's very interesting. We have this uh, customer of ours who's got salespeople out in rural India. And they're a large number, but they work out in the, in the villages of rural India. So it's a doubly difficult job because of where they are. Now, interestingly, when we looked at saying, how do you get a better incentive system for them to work better? Performance actually didn't do much for this company. So they came to us and said, look, I don't think it's about money necessarily, or not just about money. Money is a baseline. Hmm. There's something else that seems to trigger them. So can you use your product and figure out what that is? So we did it and we got we got about 20% improvement in performance. But we did a lot of interviews with them to figure out saying, you know, what is it that's driving you? And a very interesting thing came up for a large number of these people. Now, they actually work for the dealer of the customer that we are working for. This is a uh, an agricultural machinery company that we worked for. Their dealer salespeople are the ones that we put our product in for. Now, for those dealer salespeople in their social circles, the prestige of saying or the personal prestige and, you know, the standing in that social circles of saying, I work for this company rather than Prakash and Sons dealer there's an enormous difference between the two. The way they are seen in their peer group, hmm. when they... So for an example, right? If you say, I work for an ICICI or a Mahindra or a, some such name versus giving a dealer's name, there's a huge difference. And for them, 
that makes a much bigger difference in terms of the effort that they put in and what they strive for than that additional 500 rupees a month incentive that they have. Mm. So what we did was we managed to connect up the managers at this customer of ours down to those dealer salespeople so they could even communicate directly, right? And for them, even receiving a call or an appreciation or a pat on the back from someone there made a huge difference to their level of performance because all of a sudden, they felt that they were part of this and accepted by this larger company and not just you know a small dealer that's in a small rural town or village in, in India. So that's why I'm saying the what motivates and drives people can be very different based on the context. This may not work in a large urban company where you're working in here. It, it'll be a different thing. So the key really to using this AI is saying what is it that drives and motivates different individuals in different contexts and in different places and being able to apply those principles. And that's what our product really does. For the AI to actually have an impact, it would need to see a lot of data. What is the kind of a data required to make this engine work? Thanks to the overall tech digital application that most companies have, there's actually a huge amount of data available on what people are doing on a daily basis. What we largely gather is what we call behavioral data, meaning what actions have individuals taken and what outcomes have they got, right? So again, I'll take sales for consistency because it's, it's easier to run one single analogy through. Sure. But if you take a salesperson on a daily basis, they have six or seven typical activities that they do every single day. They've got a certain, what whatever you call it, a beat plan or a journey cycle where they meet a number of customers. They've got time spent with customers. They've got certain priority products they must push. They've got some promotions they need to run. Of course, they have an overall sales number that they need to achieve. They've got some issues that they need to sort out to the customer. So it's reasonably standardized in terms of saying, here are the six or 10 activities that a salesperson needs to do on a daily basis. All companies today pretty much have enterprise systems like a CRM or a dealer management system or a Salesforce automation that captures most of this information. It captures saying salesperson are supposed to do this, have they done it or not, and so on. We send a set of nudges through our application as well, and a fairly large number. So the salesperson looks at our application on a, on a daily basis, multiple times a day. So if you look at what kind of data you can gather, you can gather a lot of data. Number one, we can gather data around engagement of that individual. So we send them a set of nudges, we can figure out saying how responsive have they been to those nudges, right? Have they gone to different parts of our application? Has it aroused a curiosity to say I need to do something? And what outcome has been achieved? Have they taken that action or not based on their enterprise system that they really have? Typically, every employee today in terms of the data we capture, we capture between about 10 to 15 data points per employee per day. That's the kind of data that we, we are able to capture in today. Think of the way you you and I interact with people, right? The way you interact with people also. Let's say you are a sales head and you have a number of people reporting into you. You tell them something, right? And then you look and see is the person responding based on body language. And you can figure out based on body language saying, hey, you know, has that made a, a difference to that impact on the person or not? Yeah. Then you'll check over two, three days saying, look, I told him do something. Has he actually done it or not? We are using doing the same thing through tech. The body language equivalent for us is engagement on our application in different parts. The outcome is what we capture from the enterprise system. So we are pretty much the same. We are able to use that, therefore, in an AI engine. The advantage is we are able to use it consistently. So we are able to use it across a large number. So we pick this. We today have about 100,000 employees. So 
it's between a million, million and a half instances of behavior that we check on this. And therefore, we are able to use large amounts of data to say, what is it that, uh, you know, uh, makes a difference? What are the behavioral patterns that we are seeing? And we run a large number of experiments as well. Because sometimes it's uh, a lot of the behavior science theory that's there today, uh, while the theory is quite rich, is based on experiments with a very small sample size. A lot of these will come out with a conclusion of based on a survey of 100 students or 50 students, right, which who are all very similar, and it's a small number to base it on. Mm. Thanks again to tech and our application, we are able to base it on thousands or hundreds of thousands of different instances of behavior. We are able to base it on that. And therefore, the kind of data we gather is very, very rich. Now, here's an interesting example, right? We, we do something for supply chain as well as a, as a product. And one of the things we are looking at was saying, vendor has to supply material to the, the customer that we have. Yeah. So we have an application that tracks that. And one of the concerns was very often the vendor tells the customer saying, I'm sorry, I can't deliver it just before it's due for delivery, right? So the question is, can I get that vendor to stick to a date because I've given him a purchase order and there's a clear cut date on that. Now, in behavior science, there's this interesting concept of what's called public commitment. And public commitment is this, if you can get someone to commit publicly saying, I will do this, mm. chances of they doing it are much higher than if you just tell them, please do it, right? Oh. So a purchase order to a vendor saying, please give it to me by this date, because the date is on that purchase order. So what we introduced in our application was a commitment from the vendor and said, you know, you as the vendor, you've got this purchase order, you can either keep quiet right, and say nothing, or you can say, this date I will accept, or change the date and say, look, I can't do it on this date, it'll take me a week longer, but I'll commit to this date. So we gave them three options. In a couple of months, we had a few thousands of uh, data points on which to, to look at saying, what is the impact of that simple commitment saying, yes, I will do it on this day, versus just leaving it alone. The, what we call on-time delivery of vendors or line items that had been committed was two and a half times non-committed. So that's the difference it makes. That's right? a huge number. It's, it's a massive number. So, and that's behavior science, right? It's about, it's a simple thing that says, typical thing now to purchase order saying, here, I've given it to you now, you know, we have a contract. You have to live up to the contract, you give it to me because if you don't give it on this day, I'll charge you a penalty. So it's not about the penalty. It's about that, that vendor saying, I'm committing or keeping quiet. So if you can get that done, it's a huge difference or big difference on the final outcome or performance. It's the same with salespeople. If you can get salespeople in the last week of the month to commit what number they will hit, even if it's not their target, but to commit it, their chance of hitting that committed number is two, two and a half times someone who's not committed to anything, right? Who's just been told saying, okay, you can't hit target, but do 80% for argument's sake. True. So it's very interesting how you can, how we can get all of us to push ourselves. And I think a lot of that is because in the case of a commitment, it's it's like a word you've given and you don't want to be seen as someone who doesn't live up to your word versus just being told to do something. So it's very interesting. How does the predictive analytics engine use the data to create nudges for the employees? I mean, you've talked about this in detail though, but I mean, are there a specific example on the uh, predictive side which you can take here? Sure, there are, there are a number of different examples. I'll I'll take two of them, and one of them would be predictive of behavior. One sure. of them would be predictive of, of an outcome. So I'll take the behavior one first, right? Now, like I said before, 
on people are different in terms of their temperament or what we loosely call personality, right? We say different personalities, so they respond differently. Yeah. Now, the way we send nudges out through our application, the nudges are targeted towards different types of personalities. So there are about 12 types of, loosely if I could call it, personalities built into the application. So a person may be competitive by nature, in which case they are more interested in saying, how are they doing relative to others? Yeah. It's not about the absolute number. So if the salesperson is competitive and his target is 100, if he or she hits 80, but everyone else is below 80, they are very happy, right? Yeah. They don't need to hit 100, mm -hmm. but they need to be in the top few in there, which is very different from someone who's responsible by nature. And responsible is saying, I don't care how other, others have done, but if I've been given a target, I need to hit that target. Mm -hmm. Therefore, a responsible person if they meet 100 out of their target of 100, even if others are 110 plus, they are quite happy because they've hit 100, which is diametrically opposite to a competitive type. So the way the nudge also goes out is to try and trigger that type of motivation. So if I'm competitive, it'll pretty much give me an indication of where I am in my peer group and what I need to do to get better because that's why it pushed me into action, right? Responsible person, it'd be the other way, other way around. It'll kind of trigger your guilt of not meeting your word or not meeting the commitment that you've made towards them. So that's how, that's how the nudge goes. Now, once the nudge goes, then what the what our application looks at is saying, what is the impact of this nudge? So I've sent a nudge to Deepak. It'll then check and say, has Deepak responded to my nudge, right? In terms of uh, engagement across and has it had an effect? Has he actually done what he was supposed to do over a period of time? So in about six, eight weeks, because it tries all of these different methods, it's able to figure out saying, what is the behavior pattern that Deepak seems to follow? What kinds of messages does he tend to respond to? What kinds does he not tend to respond to? So it pretty much has a good understanding of your personality or your profile of mm -hmm. saying, what are the different things that, that you seem to get motivated or driven by? What are the things that you pretty much ignore altogether? That's where it learns. And obviously, the more it deals with you, the better it learns, right? It tries different things, so it learns better over a period. So pretty much over six, eight weeks, and as it goes forward, it understands you very, very well. So it's able to figure out saying, you know, this is how I can get Deepak to do better. And this is how Deepak himself is happy performing over a period of time. So that's what we do. And over a period of time, it kind of becomes more and more better because obviously, as you said, within three to four weeks times, it kind of gets really better. And then beyond that, it'll be much better than that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what it does. Interestingly, also, uh, our, our data shows, which is intuitive even for us, right? We don't, we are not the same every day. We don't behave the same every day because there are other factors, right? There may be something personal that may impact how you are at work on a given day. So all of these are actually probabilities. None of them are certainties. So... What it does figure out is saying, it will say, okay, Deepak responds 85% of the time to this kind of thing and only 15% to another thing. So it understands over a period that you, you have days when your moods are a little different for a variety of reasons. So its understanding is very, very deep as a result of this. That brings me to this particular question about the different functions inside an enterprise uh, that are get impacted with this. So which of these industries in general do you see getting impacted by AI-driven uh, performance improvements? We generally talked about sales, which is the one you said is uh, highly impacted with uh, something like this. So what are the other functions within an enterprise which uh, get impacted be with the AI input? sales, a lot of back office functions where you've got a great deal of activity to be done during the course of a day. 
and you need some help in figuring out which ones to prioritize. You can kind of slack off a little bit and not do. So a lot of back office functions. For instance, all the BPO, BPM services that we do, right? That That's quite right because you have a whole group of people who are agents sitting doing reasonably repetitive things. So over a period, you need someone who can motivate them, drive them up a little bit and make, and also guide them in terms of what they should do on a on a day-to-day or even hour-to-hour basis. Functions like that. Supply chain is another big area because again, supply chain is something which is day-to-day operation. So anything that's operation intensive, meaning day-to-day, pretty much a lot of similar things need to get done are ripe for this. What may not be ripe for this is let's say top management, right? Because they deal with different situations every single day. So it's hard to figure out saying which situation, why are they reacting in a certain way? So wherever you have highly operationally intensive stuff, this is this is really applicable in there. And uh, what are the major challenges, pushbacks uh, you have encountered uh, from enterprises? Three things mainly. Number one, it's a new concept. And because it's a new concept, there's also this fear of saying, will this really work? Because... Mm-hmm. The tendency for most companies when they look at saying, I want to improve performance of a large base of employees in either supply chain or sales or back office is to say, let's re-engineer the processes. You know, we'll make it very efficient. So we'll look at the processes, we'll cut down those that are redundant, do it efficiently. And then we'll throw a lot of technology at it because these two should solve the problem. Both of these are good in sense they, they give their own benefits. The big disadvantage is they ignore the individual at the end of that process and technology because they treat everyone as the same. So it's mm. as far as that process tech is concerned, it's a set of resources and they're all interchangeable and they all behave the same, which doesn't happen in practice. True. So it, some people get this very early, right? Some people get it saying, yeah, actually, we can keep putting more and more tech, but unless we are able to influence, change behavior of individuals at the end of the day, you're not. So there are studies by McKinsey and others that say that on an average, only 60% of productivity is there by employees across the globe. That 40% loss is entirely down to individuals' motivation and drive and you know, the, the willingness oh, to put in 100% thing. every day. That's a, that's a massive performance mm-hmm. gap. And it doesn't need a great deal of investment to do that. So that's that's the first one in terms of saying, you know, does this something that... The second is also the, which was there early on, the fear that will employees feel that this is big brother watching me, right? Mm. So am I being mm. monitored now rather than monthly on a day-to-day or an hourly basis? Our application doesn't do that. We position it and we actually put it as a personal coach. So the nudges that if I am a user, I get, nobody else sees. I'm the only oh, one who okay. sees. So only the application and I know what I've got and what I've done as a result of that. Nobody else has told this. So that's been a huge release in terms of acceptance at the field level by people. Uh, Again, in our application, nobody enters any data. They have no data entry at all. They just need to go in and see. So it's purely voluntary. But our engagement levels are extremely high because people see this as something that's helping them do better, but not forcing them into or coercing them into doing a set of transactions or doing a set of activities. So that that is the that was the second thing that that we really saw that uh, came up in there. The third is uh, and it's it's in some cases it needs to get integrated to the back end enterprise systems. Hmm. So sometimes there's a little pushback from people who designed those systems saying you no know, but you know we thought we had everything already in here and I mean is it something that we've missed out on there. That's reducing a little bit. But overall these are the three challenges but on the whole I must say that most companies we've gone to are 
quite open to try out something new and different that's been quite refreshing to see oh interesting because uh, in my own mind uh, i think uh, most of the clients that uh, voxoco works with is currently the indian client so how open are the indian enterprises for uh, using something like this which is mostly been the ai driven than uh, you know any kind of a human driven processes on the whole i'd say very open okay interestingly over the last 3 years i've seen the shift kind kind of happening with enterprises in india where they are willing to take a gamble on on a small pilot or a small initiative saying i'll we'll give it a shot if it's interesting yeah if it works great if it doesn't i mean i don't lose a great deal of money but that's been a very interesting trend for people to start trying different things as they are going and obviously today the whole thing of digital transformation innovation is, is something that's a buzzword that's going around but i can see it in practice in terms of people willing to put money behind that and saying okay this looks interesting let me let me try and see what i get out of that and i've found on the whole i'd say a great degree of openness to trying something like this the last question for me is that uh, wh- how do you see this whole space uh, in india and the globally shaping up in the next 3 to 4 years i think it's going to boom big and there are already buzzwords phrases coming around this human centric ai seems to be one that's picking up on yeah. this but the theme that underlines most of this is about saying how can we get ai to augment and i'm talking of employees and enterprises specifically how can we get ai to augment the capabilities of employees to do their job much better it's a problem that's pretty much across the world i don't think it's limited to to india or parts of somewhere in the world it's a common problem everywhere and as long as you're able to help people do their own jobs better and therefore get greater satisfaction out of what they are doing themselves you will automatically get greater performance or productivity which is what an enterprise looks for individual employee looks for saying of course there is a certain earning they make out of it but it's also satisfaction of saying you know i'm doing a job to the best extent of my capability right and i'm able to therefore do something that i'm happy doing and able to so these two actually are common ground pretty much as long as you're able to use and i there's huge potential for ai to be able to bring these two together bring both motivations in together and like i said before the typical employee regardless of which function is snowed under today with a whole lot of information because we've gathered a great deal of information nowadays thanks to technology on every aspect of that employee's job and uh, you know performance so they're bombarded with all of that information now you they need to start making sense out of it on on an on a daily basis and say what do i prioritize right rather than just get snowed in with all of this data that comes in and be able to treat them as individuals from a behavioral side that says look i am an individual i'm not just an employee id or a number that's sitting in here and doing something that's where i think ai has tremendous potential thanks ramesh uh, for uh, spending time with us today and sharing the great insights with our listeners thank you thanks deepak been a pleasure thanks a lot thank you for listening to the idea spring capital podcast if you like this episode please subscribe to the show and do leave us a review and rating on itunes stitcher or the app that you're listening to this on additionally you can get in touch with us on twitter at idea spring cap that is idea spring cap this podcast was produced by skapari your complete digital marketing agency